Good morning, you all. Um, in the chat group, we've posted for the uh, Zoom uh, walk and talk thing, lunch, grab, brown bag thing, a jig. So do that real quick. Uh, that's uh, an awesome opportunity to hang out with people we don't normally get to spend time with. So do that. That'd be awesome. And then we've got the upcoming financial seminar, which I kind of forgot um, the information about. So maybe we want to unmute uh, the Garza so they can mention something a little bit about it or someone who knows. Yes. No. I think it's next week. I'm not really sure on the date or time, but my coworker is pretty excited about it. And he did a lot of biblical research, even though he's not Christian at all, to include on that. So pretty cool. Yeah. So this year we've got information. Yeah, we've got. Um, it's May 31st at 2.30. Okay. So May 31st, 2.30, and uh, we've got someone who works over at TWU with, uh, or UNT, I can't remember, with um, Vianette, and uh, he's, he's been doing this for a while, helping students particularly do financial planning stuff, and so this is a great opportunity, particularly for those of you uh, who know uh, any college students uh, who haven't ever been through one of our financial seminars. We used to do them every year. And they're really, really helpful. We gave him some uh, templates for what we've done in the past. And so I feel like this will probably be the best one we've had just because he's got a lot of, uh, uh, I think, strategies and tips for um, being able to, to talk about this, particularly from a uh, you know, young person, college age kind of perspective. So, so don't miss that and invite some people to it. If it wasn't uh, obvious, it'll be on Zoom and it will be recorded also. Excellent, excellent. Well, welcome everybody. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. Leslie out there, Debbie, who I don't know if uh, the Friedrichs are with us, but Judy, my mom, uh, and uh, Anna, somewhere out there, I think. Brittany, I don't think they're on with us right now. Soon to be moms, Emily. Yes. Have I skipped anybody? Skipped any moms? No. Angel, you're a mom. Okay. No. All right. Uh, hey, it was cheering for Emily. Jeez. Oh, got it. Okay, got it, got it. So we want to celebrate uh, all of the moms and soon-to-be mom uh, out there. And uh, so, you know, say hi, chat with them, give them a wave. Um, but we also want to be respective to, uh, you know, we've been called to both celebrate and mourn with each other. And, uh, you know, one of the hard things about Mother's Day is that uh, we've lost some mothers uh, in the past couple years. Uh, Andrea's mom, Chelsea's mom two years ago, and then most recently Melissa's mom. And so um, we just want to be mindful of them as well and, uh, and celebrate with the people who, you know, uh, are celebrating and mourn with those who are mourning. Moms fulfill such an important role in our society uh, and are often saddled with uh, increasing burdens in a sort of single parent and, uh, you know, uh, women's primary caretaker kind of society on top of having to work. And so moms just hold a special place in uh, our society right now. And so we have to live up on them and do what we can. Uh, I'm particularly convicted because most of the time when I call my mom, it's about money. So uh, even now in my old age, less about asking for money, although I still do. I'm more about just getting financial advice from, from my mom. So, yep. Uh, but yeah, celebrate moms today. Uh, take an opportunity not only just to say something uh, specific to your mom, but uh, to the other moms in our family and in our community who've made an impact on us. Alrighty, 
Well, let's say a prayer, and then we're going to finish up our series, kind of finish up. Uh, we're going to do two more sermons on emotions that are really super practical. Uh, one next week on work and emotions, and the week after that on worship and emotions. And uh, for the worship one, we're going to have you listen to a podcast, and for the work one, read an article. They're going to be kind of two real practical, sort of like appendix to our uh, sermon series here. But today we're going to sort of wrap up um, the main part of the uh, the series. And as an aside, before I get going into that, we're going to read Isaiah 40 here in a moment. In terms of getting back together and meeting, uh, there's no firm plan, but the earliest we would get back and start meeting at GDAC uh, would be midway through June. And uh, and even then, we'd have to, to make some uh, decisions about uh, how we would go about doing that uh, and, uh, and what's safe. So I would just encourage you as sort of a public service announcement, just because our state is deciding to open up, it uh, doesn't mean that we ought to go back to normal. Uh, if you don't know, there are sort of three phases, uh, supposedly, to this um, going back to normal. And uh, I think right now it's still sort of phase one. Um, try not to go out. Not much different. Um, some things are opening up. Um, but, uh, yeah, just kind of pay attention to that. Uh, and don't just sort of um, go crazy with going out and being around people. It's still very important that, uh, that we're smart about what we do and that we follow uh, health officials in our, in our society. So, all right, I'm going to say a prayer and then we're going to get going. Lord, will you please help us renew our hope in you so that we can gain mastery over our emotions, so that you can manifest your strength in our weariness and in our weakness. Pray that uh, as people of um, the spirit, that we would constantly be growing and maturing in our emotions and in how we uh, see the world around us and how we respond to the difficulties and uh, the joys in our life uh, so that we can glorify your name. Amen. All right, let's read Isaiah 40. Let's just go ahead and do it in its entirety. I'll read through uh, somewhat quickly so that it's not uh, too, too long. Um, but since this will be the last time that we read it, go ahead and just read the whole thing. Comfort, O oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth and desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice says, call out. And he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend to his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span, calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him, with whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge 
and informed him of the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol of craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skilled craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them out like a tent to dwell in. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they have been planted, scarcely they have been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But he merely blows on them, and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? That I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of his greatness, his might and strength, and of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might be, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So the most famous passage from Isaiah 40 is uh, those four or those three or four last uh, lines. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. I've got a couple different sermon names here. I've given you my notes here just so you can kind of keep track of what we're talking about. But the first uh, title was God Gives Mastery Over Our Emotions. Uh, the idea that uh, God gave us emotions not to just uh, react to them, but to respond to them, to tailor them, uh, you know, for their best purpose and uh, to use and understand them, not to ignore, not to belittle, uh, not to pretend they don't exist. But he's given us those emotions and, and given us the spirit to have mastery over them. But at the same time, when we're weak and weary and feel like our emotions are just sort of overwhelming, um, God also gives us the strength to see something good within the, those time periods, to see that there's still a silver lining on the horizon when everything else seems like it's sort of over and done and nothing is worthwhile. So I want to talk a little bit about that in the context of these last two passages here. So the first point here is that God gives strength to those who hope in him. I think one of the things that uh, we do when we hear God doing these sort of anthropomorphic things, I don't know if that's the right word, but human things, is we tend to see him in very human terms. And while sometimes that's very, very important, because as Christians, we believe uh, that Jesus is you know, fully human, we have to be very careful that our human understanding of God doesn't stop there, that we understand that God, while human, is the perfect example of human. And so we can't always assume he's going to act like us, east is west, west 
uh, for his thoughts from our thoughts. So I think we have to stop thinking of God as being kind of quid pro quo in how he gives us things. We think that, okay, if we do this right, do that right, then somehow he's going to reward us for the behavior, sort of like a grade on an assignment. He's like a teacher that we do our homework and do really good, and then he'll give us a grade. That's not how God works. The very things that he calls us to do are the things that help us grow and move forward. The reward is in the obedience and the doing things that God has given us to do. And that distinction is really important for us in terms of how we think about God. Because most other gods, uh, you know, talked about throughout the ages have been the kind of human gods that only give us rewards if we do their bidding. We do something, God gives us something in return. Again, the teacher in the grave. But that's not how our God works. And this can actually cause a lot of weariness on our part if we think of God like that. Like we're working all day long, working all week for God. When are we going to get our reward? When, are we, this is, when is this actually going to pay off? And too many Christians live day to day pretending to live for God and thinking heaven is the payoff. And that's just not the Christian belief in faith. Faith is here and now, and God is doing the things that he has promised as we live from day to day. And so we can become very weary as we work for God when we think about God as simply just giving us something after we've completed some task, rather than saying the task itself as the thing uh, that rewards us. Again, I use the example there of a teacher assignments. The assignments aren't for a grade. They are the growth, doing those assignments and accomplishing them. We talked, uh, gosh, this was years ago, about the idea of in villages and in um, sort of a lot of anthropology, we talk about how do people take care of other people. And there's this, this term called kinship reciprocity, which basically means we have these concentric circles of people we give gifts to. And for a foreigner coming into our village, we're only going to give him a gift if he's got something to give us in return, right? Makes sense. But we don't think about our family like that. We give to our family because we want their good. We don't expect, hopefully, anything in return. And in fact, dysfunctional families are the kinds of families that only give to each other when something you know, is sort of in their best interest and they can get something immediately in return. They treat each other transactionally. So in this idea of God giving us strength when we hope in him, we've got to stop thinking that, okay, if I hope in God long enough, at some point he's going to give me strength. That's not the way to think about this. The way to think about it is that we get the strength as we hope in God. That in hoping for God, God is giving us strength and not like it's separate of an act and we just hope, hope, hope. And it's sort of like, you know, nothing's going to happen. And then one day, just somehow he gives us the strength to carry on. That strength is tied to the hope that we have in God, directly tied to it. You think back to the faith passages in Hebrew, but expecting God to do something. Even thinking back to John, uh, where Jesus tells the, the audience, uh, you know, you do my will and you'll see whether my word is coming from God or not. The proof is in the doing. The proof is in the obedience. And so when we hear passages like this, again, we've got to be careful that we're not thinking about God being this transactional God, quid pro quo, that the things that he's asking us to do are not busy work, are not unimportant. They're the very things uh, that, uh, that have the rewards sort of built into them. 
So he says in this passage, he's going to give strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. Well, this is like a great idea and people love it, but what the heck does it even mean? Um, I think we've kind of spiritualized this some and uh, so much so that it kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. So let's unpack this a little bit. He's going to give strength to the weary, increase the power of the weak. Well, I think this, we can see this in sort of two ways. One, I think very much you can't read the prophets without recognizing that God is making a social statement here. He is at work in this society, and he is there to give power to the people who do not have it. Now, the question of what kind of power that is, is up for debate, but I very much believe he's talking about both social power and sort of personal power, and I'll get to that in just a second. God is very concerned about our societies and about people treating each other right. And we can become a little bit too focused, as we've seen a lot of social justice warriors of late become, where everything is about making sure that people in society are doing okay. And we forget that even if our society becomes a perfect, perfect haven for a decade or 20 years for all people who are minorities and all people who are poor, that does not mean that unless something internally happens, that, that pattern is going to continue on. If all we've done is change the social structure so that this day and age people are taken care of, that does not translate to them being taken care of later on. Just read through history books. One good king, one bad king, one good social structure, then another. And so we've got to be very careful to understand that God is working, yes, in our society, yes, for the, to increase the power of the weak and for the weary, but he's doing more than just that. But he still cares, and we've got to kind of walk the tension between these two really difficult ideas. In Colbert, Stephen Colbert's book, he writes a parody um, about uh, America called I Am America and So Can You. And one of my favorite lines in it is he just says, we got to stop making poverty a never-ending money party, <laughs> talking about the welfare system. And of course, he's totally kidding. Um, but what it reminds me of is... Uh, this is not in any way saying that somehow we ought to go and, and try to um, intentionally be poor or intentionally be marginalized. And then in some way, by doing that, God is going to, you know, uh, increase our power. This is not at all trying to say that these are good states to be in, not from a social standpoint. Too many Christians have read this incorrectly over the years. God is at work, but, but more importantly, this whole idea of weak and weary is built into the fabric of creation, that when we as people are weak or we as societies are weak, God has an ability to work in some ways more than he can work in other environments because we actually see a need for him, which is what we're going to talk about in just a second. So uh, we need not encourage it or seek it out. He is actively changing things. Uh, I put here, you know, blacks, Latinos, working poor. Um, there's no, in my mind, uh, uh, coincidence that these people in our society in particular are far more religious than the rest of society. Okay. From a social standpoint, I very much think God works in minority communities in um, impoverished communities in ways that many of us who aren't a part of that could never fully understand or see and that God is still very active there and more interested in those environments than some others. 
but we don't have time for that. I'm just, I want to kind of get that part out of the way for a moment, even though I'm sure some of you really want me to circle back to that later. That's the sociology side of things. This, we're talking about emotions. So let's move on to what I think is the second part of this, which is a personal statement. So that's not the full message. The personal statement here, I think that's very, very important is, so what about us when we're weak and weary? Not just sort of socially or structurally weak and weary, but individually weak and weary. Uh, weary. What does that mean? And if you don't focus on the weary part here, you've kind of missed it because this, this word is mentioned over and over again, and God starts it with, I will never grow weary. Now, this is a little bit of a trip because at the beginning of the passage, in fact, in first chapter one, God starts this with, with I am weary. So you've got to kind of go back and, and understand, wait, what's the contradiction here? Why on one hand is God saying he's weary? And the other hand, he's saying, I'll never grow weary. Well, obviously, he's using the word two different ways here. And for a purpose, the weariness that he talks about, and one is he's so tired of people sacrificing and doing ritualistic things around him and not caring for people. The weariness that he's talking about here is he's never going to grow tired of working for the causes uh, in the world, both what we've talked about from the social standpoint and from working in people's lives. Even though he may be sick and tired of people's behavior, he's not going to be tired enough to work or give up on us. So I want to mention three things real quick, real quick here that I think are sort of practical takeaways from um, you know, what I think God is saying uh, to us, and particularly in terms of, of how we think about how could he possibly uh, work in our weakness and uh, in our weariness. Number one, when we are weak and weary, we stop pretending things will get better on their own. So we're open to change, okay? And this is what I mean by built into the fabric of, of how God created things. There's a point when at our weakest, at our weariness, we stop pretending like inertia, like life is just going to get better. So much of our lives are focused and spent around just sort of doing, especially as we get older, doing what we've always been doing and hoping that something will just sort of change on its own. But when we're particularly weak and weary, we start to be open to the idea uh, that maybe something has to change here. Something's got to be done differently. The second thing is when we are weak and weary, we stop pretending that we're fine. It's just normal, you know? So we're actually open to some kind of growth. When we get weak, we get weary, the world isn't just normal and fine anymore. All of a sudden, we don't even have the energy to put on the facade that most of us put on from day on, from day in, day out. So we're actually open to the idea of growing uh, and not just staying in that sort of fixed state. And probably one of the most important things in terms of practically here is when we're weak and weary, we stop pretending we can do it on our own. So we're actually open to help. And I think that's partly where this uh, scripture has its you know, kind of major emphasis is that when um, when we feel at our worst, when we feel at our just sort of most depleted, uh, we have an opportunity to finally reach out for help. And God is saying, I'm here to renew your strength as you'll hope in me. And stop hoping in all of these things that you think will give you rest, uh, but actually only end up giving you temporary uh, rest, and then you're weary right again, and back into the patterns of weariness and rest and weariness and rest. So it leads us to this last section here, which I uh, I think is the most popular 
Um, a lot of people have talked about it and, and what exactly it means. But I love J.I. Packer's approach to this last section. And so I'm just going to sort of copy it completely and then um, let you do with it what you will. And if we have questions, we can ask questions and that kind of thing. So J.I. Packer in his very, very long, uh, well, he talks about the Holy Spirit all the time, but in one instance particularly, he talks about this passage. And he says, you know, so we've got three comparisons here. We're soaring on wings like eagles, which sounds like a cheesy love song. Um, and, uh, but, you know, this is sort of like represents the highs of life. Uh, when we feel at our best, when things just make sense, when we get sort of a calm after or before a storm, you know, we sort of in those, in those short and brief moments, moments sort of know God is with us, or at least pretend to know, or at least feel close to God. And so certainly um, we get these feelings and they're important. And God, and I think those ultimately come from God. And these are the kinds of feelings that in my mind is the best part of what heaven has to offer is that we finally have a stability in our ability to be happy and joyful. But alas, that's not how most of us would describe our day in and uh, day out kind of living. And if you do, you're either way too positive and optimistic and let's hang out some more or uh, you're really good at pretending. Okay. So the second one's a little bit more applicable. According to Packer, we run and not grow weary. This is sort of the business of life. We have purpose. We have discipline. You know, we're running. So people are at least kind of watching us. They sort of see what we're doing. We at least have some connection to the people around us. And because we're running, right? And I mean, if you're running, people generally take notice of you. Um, and Backer says at least versus if you're walking. Uh, but we can only run for so long uh, without any kind of strength. Some of you who run more than like two or three miles, my wife included, it's really just kind of amazing to me. Uh, I don't even think my biggest issue with running is the physical side of it because I'm really strong just naturally. <laughs> uh, but it's just the boredom of it. I mean, how, how can you just do that? How can you run for longer than 30 minutes? How can you really do anything for longer than 30 minutes uh, in my mind? Uh, but uh, yeah, so we run and, uh, and we get weary. But Packer says the most important part of this entire section is the walking and not growing faith. Number one, what the heck is wrong with you if you're walking and growing faith? Walking is like, besides sitting, the least physical activity. So obviously he's not talking about like just walking like we've been doing lately, 30, 45 minute, you know, little walks around the neighborhood. He's talking about something bigger according to Packer and he's talking about the mundane living that we do, the, the stuff that fills all of the stuff between the soaring high, the running and purpose and discipline, the stuff that really for many of us makes up most of our life. And probably this faintness is the worst of all kinds of faintness. Because at least after I've run and I'm weary, I'm like, man, that's that good exercise feeling. I've done something. I've accomplished something. A proverb talks about, you know, the man who works sleeps well at night. But it's the walking and the being faint from just the mundane things of life that I think are most challenging. And not only because uh, the faintness just is so dull sometimes, but also because we feel so alone in it. Well, many of us, you know, again, when we're running, people are kind of watching. When we're soaring, we feel God's presence. And, the, and Packer's question on the last one, which is so important, is, is, okay, when God seems distant and people uninterested, do we know the Spirit is still with us? 
because it's through that, that sort of spirit's guidance in our life uh, that we, we can actually walk, do the majority of the things in life and not grow faint. And I think that's just a powerful idea. I've tried to find the, the text of it, but couldn't. I don't know where it's at. Um, but it's, you, I think you can probably read it in an article or something. But I love this, um, uh, this idea because I think it focuses a lot on or applies a lot to this conversation we've had about emotions. Uh, that when our emotions become sort of overwhelming or when we go, grow numb and we feel like we're at kind of our most uh, uh, or maybe least um, um, I don't know, we can't move. We're just sort of paralyzed by how awful we feel or how tired we are. Uh, the spirit enables us um, to bounce back from that and actually learn from it and dig into God in those moments. So my last question's here. And yes, I have some awesome, wonderful examples. Yes. The emphasis is on moving. Are you moving in your emotional maturity? And I think that's the, uh, the main idea really as Christians when we talk about pretty much anything is that God is growing us. He's moving us into another direction. And uh, do we feel like we're moving in, in uh, the direction of emotional maturity? And emotional maturity, obviously, just becoming more like God in our emotions. Um, I know when I was younger, it was very hard to chart this. I felt much more like I was doing ups and downs and roller coasters in regard to emotions. Um, but, and I think even in you know, adult age, you can feel like you get into these like seasons of emotional, maybe more numbness than just out of control. And so we've got to ask our question, uh, ask the question, are we moving in, in terms of emotional maturity? Are we becoming like the people that God uh, wants us to become? So I have two things I want to share here and because I think they're really, really great. Uh, and and um, one of them was from a movie I watched last night, which I can never remember uh, how the X-Men movies like work, like in what order? I mean, Marvel's like so much easier to figure out the order of things. I was watching Future Days Past or some crazy something like that. And the quick premise is that uh, there's like, you know, these Sentinel robots, which I think are really cool uh, compared to all the other villains out there, um, have basically, if you ever watched the movie or TV show Heroes, they have the ability to adapt to the um, uh, X-Men's capabilities so as to like wipe them out, wipe the mutants out. And so they have to send back Wolverine, Logan, into the past to change some things about it so that this, you know, end doesn't come to pass like it's come. And so in one moment when uh, Professor X, Charles, is really having difficulty wanting to change anything about the future, he basically goes and talks to his own future self. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But I don't want to read it. So it just says, it's not their pain you're afraid of. It's yours, Charles. And as frightening as it may be, that pain will make you stronger. If you allow yourself to feel it, brace it, it will make you more powerful than you ever imagined. The greatest gift we have, to bear their pain without breaking. Talking about humans and younger mutants. And it comes from the most human part of us, hope. Please, Charles, we need you to hope again. I really like this line. I think it fits really well into what we're talking about here in Isaiah 40. And then uh, I have another one, one from The Wire, of course, because I have to always quote The Wire because it's so good. I won't give you too much of the backstory because it gives some things away, but there's this uh, uh, crack theme, basically, that's one of the more uh, great characters, and he goes back and forth between uh, being on drugs and off drugs. And he's meeting with his mentor, Waylon Jennings, actually, which is kind of cool. 
and um, and Waylon kind of reads this quote or gives this quote to him. He just says, you can hold yourself back from the sufferings of the world. That is something you are free to do, and it accords with your nature. But perhaps this very holding back is the one suffering you could avoid. So I encourage you in thinking about this stuff and, and emotions to um, to take to heart what God is saying at the end of this passage, that our weakness and our weariness and, and the times when we feel most dry and most lost, those are the best times uh, for us to renew our hope in God and to watch as he gives us strength and response. We're going to talk a little bit about how that works, both in work and in worship the next two weeks to try to get this down to a little bit more of a practical level. Uh, but from now, I think this is one of those beliefs we've got to hold on to and at least believe based on experience in the past or a willingness to try on uh, what God is saying to us here and see if it actually uh, works and holds, uh, holds true. All right, we have any questions? Uh, and uh, before we sign off, I'm fine with just the audio being back on too, Josh. If people want to actually ask questions, that's fine too. You don't have to write them unless you want to, even if they're just clarifying questions. And if we have no questions, great. I can let my cat in who's whining at my window and trying to climb in through the window. People can uh, manually un unmute themselves if they want to ask something or they okay. can have it if they prefer. Either way. Great. Rudy, you got a question? Also, I'll say it because I think other people are probably thinking of it. Uh, X-Men is technically Marvel. So <laughs> when you said it's like, Marvel's so much easier to follow. Oh, of, yeah. They got bought out by halfway through, right? Someone, I don't know, dude. I can't keep up with it. But All right, nerd. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, Rua, Rua wants to know what time is lunch. <laughs> Too early for lunch, Rudy. Well, after Chelsea, after you try to starve the poor dog, I imagine that's all he's thinking about is how many times he's going to get fed. Okay, well, I guess this uh, good ending is any to our uh, our uh, series on emotions in uh, Isaiah. Um, yeah, if you, of course, have any questions or thoughts, that'd be great. I'm going to post uh, a little bit later today the uh, uh, the article for next week. And, uh, but I think maybe it would be really good for you to spend some time uh, asking the uh, uh, question, what are some of the most common emotions I feel at work? Uh, maybe frustration, just an obvious one. But I want to deal with that when we talk about work next week. And then in two weeks, we'll talk about uh, emotions and worship, sort of practical ways of, uh, of thinking about that as well. Sound good, guys? Awesome. Thank you very much. Feel free to, you know, stick around. Um, and uh and talk and chat but other than that we'll be back together next week thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast we would love for you to join us on sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week and you can get more information about that at dentonnorthchurch.com